This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. And I'm Trevor Kristen. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hey, hey. Yes. The gang's I guess Kristen is our regular new releases guest. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <Here> last time. <laughs> That's my word. If by regular, you mean twice. Yes. Oh. All right. I've got some audiobooks here. Should we Yay. talk about them? Please. Sure. How about a couple of Philip K. Dick to start with? Because I know that Jesse would love that. Uh, are they late career or early career? I, uh, you're going to have to tell me. Okay. Uh, the Penultimate Truth and uh, The Crack in Space. Yeah, I think those are uh, later middle career. <laughs> <laughs> late middle, early morning. No, I think they're before the uh, uh, exegesis begins. And, uh, and so probably much more listenable. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking um, forward to those. The description of the penultimate truth. Mm-hmm. In the future, most of humanity lives in massive underground bunkers, producing weapons for the nuclear war they've fled. Constantly bombarded by patriotic propaganda, the citizens of these industrial anthills believe they are waiting for the day when the war will be over and they can return above ground. But when Nick St. James, president of one anthill, makes an unauthorized trip to the surface, what he finds is more shocking than anything he could imagine. So that um, uh, reminds me that this is one of his stories where he took a uh, short story and expanded it out. I believe it's from uh, The Defenders, which is uh, an early story in which robots on the surface of the Earth are fighting the war for humanity who are hiding underneath. And um, Hmm. it is a surprising truth that they learn. Cool. All right, and then The Crack in Space... When a repairman accidentally discovers a parallel universe, everyone sees it as an opportunity, whether as a way to ease Earth's overcrowding, set up a personal kingdom, or hide an inconvenient mistress. But when a civilization is found already living there, the people on this side of the crack are sent scrambling to discover their motives. Will will these parallel humans come in peace, or are they just as corrupt and ill-intentioned as the people of this world? Impossible, that I That reminds say. me of an episode of Futurama. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was the one where the where the professor wanted to get rid of... What was it? He uh, wanted to get rid of something that basically took you into the alternate dimensions, and then you had Lila with orange hair and Smart Fry and <laughs> all the alternate dimensions. Smart Fry? This must be an alternate dimension. That sounds crazy. Oh, I love it. Um, uh, just from the plot description on Wikipedia, it says, um, on future Earth, overwhelmed with severe difficulties related to po- overpopulation of portals open, blah, blah, blah. But then this is the part that struck, uh, struck me. Briskin is a social conservative who does not support the golden doors, that's the capitals, golden doors, of bliss, orbital brothel, and opposes widespread abortion access. So, See from Virginia. Yeah, it says, <laughs> these are the two dominant U.S. political parties, the Republican liberals and the states' rights conservative Democrats. They <laughs> 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 say, hmm, maybe it's not science fiction. Maybe it came through a crack in space from the past and now is a uh, blueprint for the future. <laughs> you bet. All right. 
Okay, next those are up. Both, uh, from Brilliance, right? Yeah, those are both from Brilliance. Yep. Okay, so cover's not so interesting, but book's pretty interesting. You bet. You bet. Um, okay, next I have a new Infinibox title, which will be released on the 29th of February. Ooh, um, we got it. It's called it's Timeless Time Tra- Travel. Ugh. Timeless Time Travel Tales. Say that several times in a row. Um, it's here's the contents: Things Undone by John Barnes, and Wild for to Hold by Nancy Cress, Home Time by Ian R. McLeod, The Mists of Time by Tom Purdom, Against the Current by Robert Silverberg, The Observation Post by Alan M. Steele. Skirtso for Tyrannosaur by Michael Swanwick and Bespoke by Genevieve Valentine. And that's that. Hmm. Exciting. Uh, it looks like these are pretty modern. Um, that Silverberg came out in 2007. So, mm-hmm. yeah, these are, these are timely time travel tales, is what I would have <laughs> named it, as opposed to timeless. Uh. I don't know if the cover is the same as the one on Amazon. It looks kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, he he does good covers actually. Yeah, he really does. Yep. So fantastic. Did Luke and Jesse just do a time travel podcast, a pair of podcasts uh, on SFPRP? I don't think that's happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> sometime in the future. Sounds, I, I, we were talking about doing it sometime in the future. I, I don't <laughs> know. I I heard the Amazon Asimov one. Yeah, we have it set to record sometime in the summer. So I guess it turned out all right. <laughs> mind blown. Uh, cool. All Hashtag right. Mind blown. <laughs> Terrible. Okay. All right. Next up, this is a book that I've seen um, a bunch of times on Goodreads lately. It's called Resurrection. It's by Arwen Ellis Dayton, um, performed by Kate Rudd. It's unabridged from Brilliance. Um. Here's the description. It says, Ancient Egypt. The Kinley built a ship capable of traveling faster than light, and it carried a group of scientists to a small distant planet, Earth. When their ship was destroyed, they were stranded. They buried remnants of their technology deep beneath the desert and sent a last message home. And then it says, Modern Day. Kinley hovers on the brink of extinction. An enemy that nearly obliterated their race has risen again with the ability to destroy them for good. A lone soldier named Pruitt is sent on a desperate mission. Follow the ancient beacon back to Earth and recover the secrets to faster-than-light travel. Technology that once allowed them to cross vast reaches of space might allow them to outrun their enemies and find a safe world to call their own. Well, sounds uh, pretty cool. getting very positive reviews on Amazon. Uh, 72 reviews and only uh, more now. Yeah, 49 of them are five stars. Two of them are one star. Cool. But, uh... The uh, things people don't like about it, meditating aliens. Meditating aliens. Yeah, Is that um, offensive? I, I, I think they don't believe aliens can meditate. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's too boring. Uh, the book is about, uh, looks like 12 and a half hours long, 11 CDs. Well, who's the narrator on that? Um, Kate Rudd, R-U-D-D. I'm not familiar with her. Uh, that was the other complaint was... It says, I'm unable to finish this book because the narrator is the worst. It's like a female android is reading it. That's more like a female William Shatner, just for the record. That's how it was written up. 
potentially yep. a great story ruined by an appalling narrator. Well, Ooh, um, I, yeah, I wonder. Alice. Yeah, I, I've never heard her, so I'll have to listen to a sample. But it sounds it sounds interesting, and I like if it is the first in the series. It at least that doesn't prominently advertise it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay, and that's an author I have not heard of before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's cool and also cover. the first person I've ever known named Arwen. That's not fictional. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a I lot like, of Arwens around. I like the cover. Yeah. Maybe it's a pen name. It's got some pyramids. It's got a like a. Is that a? It's like a what's a, a globe? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, the and that's the same ball. cover here. Yeah, crystal ball and some pyramids in background. Right. It'll be good. Yep, very cool. All right, uh, next I up. I guess Arwen Ellis Dayton is probably not a real name then. It's probably a pseudonym, you think? Oh, I don't know. Okay. It sounds like a pseudonym. It just sounds too nice. <laughs> we demand their birth certificate. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, next up. To Mary Medusa by Theodore Sturgeon. Uh, oh, read this has by... another title. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as the Cosmic Rape from the Cosmic the 1970s. Rape, yeah. uh, it's read by Stefan Rudnicki. Um, oh, nice. It's four and a half hours long. It's from Blackstone. Uh, description time. Uh, up until one minute ago, Gerlich was merely a specimen of Homo sapiens and a substandard specimen at that. But now, this craven, seething, barely literate drunk has ingested a spore that traveled light years before touching down on our planet a spore that has, in turn, ingested Gerlich, turning him into a host for the Medusa. The Medusa is a hive mind so vast that it encompasses the life forms of a billion planets, and it is determined to ingest Earth as well. That's so it was originally published uh, in Galaxy in 1958 as To Marry Medusa, and then was expanded uh, into the novel form as The Cosmic Rape. So it sounds like what they did was they just renamed it because... They didn't want the controversy of the title. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it it I, reminds I, me of a Robert Silverberg story. Um, I'm not sure why it doesn't leap to mind right now what the name of it is, but it was about uh, people who just randomly get possessed by these aliens and then they wake up, you know, days later. What's we've, that? We've talked about passengers, that's passengers. That's it. Passengers. Yeah, we've talked yeah. About it. That's a good one. Yeah. Talking and that's about also similar rape. to. Uh, uh, Sheckley story that I've got hmm. in in hopes of listening to. Yeah. I actually read part of this as a kid, and it seemed really random. Like every other chapter, just has a new person, and it just seems like a mainstream story. So uh, I ended up lemming it. I just I hmm. got bored with it. Terrible. So I wonder <laughs> if you you must have read the novel version, huh? Yeah, it was called the Cosmic Rape in paperback. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the cover yeah, looked really excellent. cool. It looked like War of the Worlds or something, but then. Every other chapter, I, I I couldn't make heads or tails of it. It says Dan Gerlich is an alcoholic who knowingly, oh, sorry, unknowingly ingests a spore from Medusa, which turns him into a host. That sounds like a horror story. <laughs> but uh, Stephen on Goodreads really liked it, so maybe I'll check it out again. Cool. Yeah, four hours. You can't really go wrong with that, right? Yeah. Oh, is that short? Yes, yeah, four and a half. Yeah, four and a half hours. It's like three CDs, is it? Um, I must four. have had ADD as a kid oh. since I didn't finish it. <laughs> I don't know. So one of the Amazon reviews says the same thing, that they got really frustrated with the bouncing back and forth and just getting used to one character and then going somewhere else. So. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Hmm. Well, I, I, it's Blackstone, right? Uh, yes, it is. Stefan Rednicki, yeah. Yep. I think if Tam doesn't want it, I'll take it. Okay, sounds good. Okay, next up is um, Halo Primordium, the Forerunner Saga Book 2 uh, by Greg Bear. Read by Tim Dadabo, the voice of Halo's 343 Guilty Spark. And I do not know I'm what sure that, that is. sure that means something to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> is that really a Halo like video game book? Uh, yes, it yes. is. This is uh, the Forerunner Saga Book 2. Cryptum, I think and I'm pretty sure we've got book one floating around here, too. Um, I'll just read a quick part of the description. In the wake of the apparent self-destruction of the Forerunner Empire, two humans, Chakas and Riser, are like flotsam, washed up on a very strange shores indeed. Um, captured by the Master Builder and then misplaced during a furious battle in space, Riser and Chakas now find themselves on an inverted world, where horizons rise into the sky and where humans of all kinds are trapped in a perilous cycle of horror and neglect. So this is the second. I know Greg Bear was going to write three of these, so um, there's another one coming. I wonder what those horizons are. What do do you think? They rise into the sky. What could that mean? (laughs) I don't know, but one of the comments on on Goodreads got annoyed that it doesn't fit in with the video game universe quite properly. Uh, Yeah, I think it's uh, (laughs) it's 10,000 years before something. Hmm. It's a violation. <laughs> yes. That Macmillan, did you say? Yeah, that's Macmillan. I think they're doing all the Halo uh, releases. Mm-hmm. Are you a Halo player, Kristen? I used to be. I played Halo 1 and Halo 2 a lot, but when Halo 3 came out, I couldn't get into it. So, A recovering Halo player. <laughs> okay. Yeah, when we first got our Xbox, um, we hooked it up to the internet, and I've played a lot of the multiplayer style, but I still haven't been through the story of it, and I'm really, really yeah. bad. I'm the guy who dies immediately. <laughs> you get sniped. Yeah, I'm the guy no yeah, one wants on their time. team. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of time in grad school with my roommate playing a lot of Halo. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, next up, sixth column by Robert A. Heinlein, mm-hmm. read by Tom Weiner, um, unabridged, uh, six hours. <clears throat> from Blackstone. It's six against six million in a near-future war for nothing less than the liberty and justice for all. <laughs> the totalitarian East has triumphed in a massive invasion, and the United States has fallen to a dictatorial superpower bent on total domination. That power is consolidating its grip through concentration camps, police state tactics, and a total monopoly upon the very thoughts of the conquered populace. A tiny enclave of scientists and soldiers survives unbeknownst to America's new rulers. It's six against six million, but those six include a scientific genius, a master of subterfuge and disguise, a tough-minded commander who knows how to get the best out of his ragtag assortment of American discontents, wily operators, and geniuses. It's going to take technological savvy and a propaganda campaign that would leave Madison Avenue aghast, but the U.S. will rise again. So, um, when was that first published? In you know? 1942. Uh, it came yeah, out it says uh, copyright 2012 oh, sorry, by Blackstone, copyright 1949 by Robert A. Heinlein. came out the year of Pearl Harbor. Or, no, sorry, it was written in the year of Pearl Harbor. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Hmm. Um, now, 
here's an interesting thing that I've always heard about and I just read about the other day and I thought I'd share. Um, so the title is Sixth Column, right? Mm-hmm. And I've heard of a fifth column, but I didn't know where the expression had come from. So a fifth column is uh, is the sort of people hidden in your area, right? Like the Japanese, they thought we're going to take over uh, the United States on the West Coast, so they put them all in concentration camps, right? Um, that is, they were put in concentration camps because they were thought to be a fifth column. But the expression itself isn't that much older. You guys know where it comes from? Mm-mm. It's very interesting. In uh, the Spanish Civil War, uh, there was a commander who got on the radio and announced that there was four columns approaching the city. And he said, but don't worry, we've got a fifth column in the city itself. The people will rise up. And as in columns of troops, right? Mm-hmm. So, basically. And so, I guess, at the time, Heinlein would have exploited that and said, no, we don't just have a fifth column, we've got a sixth column, which <laughs> I still don't understand in the title exactly. Uh, so, I guess I'm going to have to read this book. Well, if the fifth column is the people, the sixth column is the, the hidden cell. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the, the fifth ones are the ones you can see, and the sixth ones are the ones you can't, right? No, 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 the fifth ones are the hidden ones. Well, but they're hidden amongst the people you can still see. I suppose. I guess. Never mind. I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I got nothing. (laughs) Um, I I thought it was an accounting term. I don't know. And then there's there's also (laughs) the third estate and the fourth estate. I stopped to look those up. (laughs) Maybe it's the sixth estate. Is the is Mm -hmm. the fifth dollar? (laughs) The fourth. The sixth sense. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Okay, next up, um, this is an audio drama. This is from uh, protophonic.net. It's uh, Dieter Zimmerman, I think, is the, the guy who runs this. It's called Brad Lansky and the 4D Verse by J.D. Venn. Um, it's the fifth audio drama that they've released. Um, really, really rich sound. I, I liken it kind of to Ruby. You know, where the sound's mm-hmm. really the thing here. It's a really s- stunning sound. Um, quick description. Mamai Soliton has found a way to travel through the toroid artifact in the Antistark. The cryptic note he left before disappearing leads Brad and Alex to Drupa 5, a deserted alien planet. There they find a beacon in the desert canyon that might belong to Mamai. And I'll just stop there. It's uh, about an hour and a half long on a mp3 cd i should tell you you know scott you did the review of that uh the previous one in mm-hmm. that series um it was just on radio drama revival very recently oh cool um, they, they played and it. uh yeah dieter zimmerman himself was interviewed on radio drama revival recently too oh so um, you know maybe i maybe i heard the interview as well because that sounds is he from south africa yeah he is yeah uh-huh yeah that's what it was okay mm-hmm. and he's uh, been on our this podcast? Oh no! I know. I think no, no, Fred no. Greenhalgh has been. Reviews for yeah, the, the guy uh, from Radio Drama Revival has been, but not yeah. Future's oh, Emerson. Yeah. yeah, we we we've had the host of that podcast on here, but not the not uh, the South African dude. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Well, I've got four is that, more. Is that here. like Firefly oh. when he says the verse? The verse and the four D <laughs> verse. It's getting verse and verse. <laughs> That's Scott's joke. <laughs> 
You bet. Okay, I have here Against the Light by Dave Duncan, performed by Ralph Lister from Brilliance Audio. Uh, it's about 15 hours long. A young magical missionary's arrest for heresy and treason in the land of Albi fuels a struggle full of intrigue and treachery between opposing religions that threatens to tear their society apart. Um, the hierarchy, the high priests of the religious order of the light, rules both the magical kingdom of Albi and its religion, and its religion period. Uh, worshippers in the old ways of the Earth Mother, clandestinely uh, scattered throughout the land, are persecuted as heretics. And when missionary student Rollo Woodbridge returns to his home in Albi, he is arrested for heresy and treason, setting off a chain of events that puts everyone's life in jeopardy and plunges the kingdom into chaos. And that is that. So, yeah. What's the title on that one? Against the Light. Okay. I haven't heard a word about that other than what you just gave us. Okay. That's kind of interesting, though. Here's one for the haters. <laughs> Them or Us by David Moody. Right. Uh, read by Gerard Doyle. Um, it's from Blackstone, 11 and a half hours. The war that has torn the human race apart is finally nearing its end. With most cities now uninhabitable and with the country in the grip of a savage nuclear winter, both hater and unchanged struggle to survive. Hundreds of hater fighters have settled on the East Coast under the command of Hinchcliffe, who will stop at nothing to consolidate his position at the top of the New World Order. So um, that uh, that's uh, the same narrator as the, for the first book. I think this is the third or fourth yep, book. It says the, the Hater Trilogy, book yeah. three. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think Dog Blood is the second one. Uh, I haven't heard that. I heard the first one. I reviewed the first one, and that consistently gets comments from people there's a you know a few audiobooks that get comments over and over again so uh i guess the um what's the stephen king the walker was, was that one about the wa the long walk i think it's called mm. yeah um that one consistently get comments on that one consistently get comments on on hater as well and uh the the people who read these books they are big fans but you hated it. Uh, no, not exactly. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't hate either of them. <laughs> oh, I thought you gave it a negative review. I gave aspects of them negative reviews. Okay. But I don't know. I do like that narrator, though. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, the, the, he's some done people a really like good him. Good job with some of them. Some people like him, and some people think he's terrible. But um, really? I, I didn't have a problem with the narrator. He read the Aragon books or the the Inheritance Cycle books, and he was the only reason I could keep going through those books. Hmm. Wow. He narrated them. Yes, narrated. Sorry. <laughs> cool. That's great. Okay, next up, uh, this is kind of neat. Um, Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates, Indeed. read by Tom Weiner. Uh, I love the shortness. Yeah, it's ninety minutes long. When a mysterious ship inst instantaneously appears on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, freelance picture reporter Cliff Sutherland is there to see it. Two days later, two passengers from the ship emerge, a godlike being in human form and an eight-foot robot made of green metal. Are the alien and his robot here to help or hinder mankind? Find out the surprising answer in the original story that inspired the classic 1951 science fiction movie and its 2008 remake, the Day the Earth Stood Still. 
I haven't seen the remake. Um, but I, I have read this book. The remake. I read this. Um, it's it says it's a short story. I guess it's a novelette or something. But uh, it came out in 1940 and astounding. And I I read it and I I didn't really see much of a connection between it and the the original date. The Earth stood still. Hmm. Um, huh. They're not that similar for some reason in my mind. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the audiobook has a theremin on the soundtrack. Like you. <laughs> 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 oh man! Cool. And it uh, looks like it's public domain. Huh. Wait, nice. is Klaatu Barada Nikto in the book in the story? Uh, I think it is. Klaatu is is the name of the robot. Yeah, yeah. That's like the command that you give the robot. Uh, yeah, in the movie. Anyways, did you, right. uh, Terp Kristen? Did you say you re- you saw the sequel, uh, the remake? No, I said I also avoided the remake because I love <laughs> that old movie. That's like one of my first movies I ever watched with my dad of classic sci-fi. Mm-hmm. It's the original. Huh. So I, I wonder if anybody's seen How could it be bad one? with Keanu Reeves in it? He's hey. the one. I'm just going to let that go. Hey. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Scott, you're a bear baiter. <laughs> oh, shoot. All right. Okay, the last one I have here is by Ben Bova and Bill Pogue. It's called The Tricon Deception, read by Stefan Rudnicki from Blackstone, 13 and a half hours. Earth is in an ecological nightmare, and humanity may well go the way of the dinosaurs, but overhead orbits salvation. A vast metallic island in space, the Tricon station conducts genetic research too risky to be done on Earth, research that could save the planet. Yet Commander Dan Teig discovers that Tricon's major project is espionage. Its international crew is split into warring factions. Its scientists, consumed by greed, lust, and drugs, run the lab for their own gain. Murder intrigue and romantic jealousy threaten to sabotage the station's crucial work. Only Commander Tig can save the Tricon, and only Tricon can save the Earth. So it's uh, the name of a space station, a laboratory space station, where they do... Mm -hmm. uh, Unethical experiments or experiments that people will get upset with down on Earth. Um, mm-hmm. And it came out originally in 92, I think. Gotcha. Have you read this, Scott? I have not. Scott's our Bova man, so yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't read those. Um, the Bovas that I really like are his uh, planet stories. I like um, those very much, but I haven't read um, solar, much, much Bova the, outside solar, of that. It's a solar system series. What's it called? The Grand Tour. Grand tour, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I sure enjoy those. I don't. I'm not. Bill Pogue. I've not heard of him. Um. Oh, he's an astronaut. That's why. Mm. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Well, that's uh, all I have here, guys. Terp Kristen or should folks? know Bill Pogue, mm-hmm. right? Actually, I'm looking him up right now, and I think I actually have met him, but I don't. Would not have picked him out of a lineup if you'd uh, until you'd said astronaut. Uh, maybe William Pogue? <laughs> no, 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 no. <clears throat> the description here says, Bill Pogue is a retired American astronaut, as well as author, teacher, and huh. public speaker. He was the first Native American astronaut. He lives in Oklahoma. I'm seeing a picture of yeah, Bill Pogue. WilliamPogue.com is his website, it looks like. I think he did a talk at a at a um, internship I went to. Oh, cool. So he can draw from his experience. In these yeah, books. that book's got potential, I think. Yeah. Solely by that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he's he's also got a couple of DVDs out. One called "Living in Space," and the other one is called "How Do You Go to the Bathroom in Space." <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's what I want to know. Uh, that's probably I, the I number one question one he gets from school kids. I think that's I a, yeah, that's a book, not a uh, uh, video. I'm not sure I would want to see the video. Uh, hear the <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, that's all I have here. Okay. Well, um, uh, I've got a few um, titles that I posted to the website a while ago. Um, most important being perhaps the read-along that we're going to be doing a couple weeks from now, um, which is um, The Comedy is Finished by Donald E. Westlake, the famous last novel. Hmm. Uh, second time this we've had this last novel come out um and that's from audio go who has recently started offering mp3 downloads by the way which is very cool oh nice yeah and uh i was telling tam he should have a look at the catalog because there's some good stuff and actually there was an ad for uh for uh audio drama on the site yesterday um one of the dashiell hammett uh bbc radio dramas they got the rights to all the bbc um, audio dramas and audiobooks that are being sold in the States. Audio Go used to be known as Chivers, also known uh, as BBC Audiobooks America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I looked at their site and I noticed a lot of the audio dramas. Um, there's yeah, a, a, a Day of the Triffids and mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the Chrysalids, I think, is the other one by yeah. uh, John Wyndham. Which is and, a great book. I just read that last year. Yeah, and one named Chalky, which I remember was very, very good. Uh freaky one, I, I yeah, believe. Yeah. It's freaky. But they, they, they don't just do um, audio, you know, like uh, the classic novels. They've, they've also got a lot of the um, podcasts that, that you know, have been coming out the last few years, which is, I'm really surprised to see they got the MP3 downloads for afternoon plays of all sorts of different things. They've got uh, the Sexton Blake, remember Sexton Blake? Oh yeah, yep. I've got one of those, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Father Brown mysteries, and it's pretty pretty impressive that we're finally getting a radio drama accessible MP3 download place. I'm very pleased at this concept because really there hasn't been anything. There, there was Audible, but they for the longest time didn't even have stereo. Mm-hmm. You're getting it straight from the source here. Oh, so this one's got other like sound effects and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, it's full, full blown oh, wow. drama. That's awesome. Well, they've got both. They've got the radio drama and the straight readings. They do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So that's that's cool. Um, also, uh, of course, Tam, I think you pointed out the uh, Scott Brick version of um, A Princess of Mars is out. That's right. They're calling it uh, John Carter of John Carter in A Princess of Mars, and John Carter's huge. <laughs> Princess of Mars is small, right? Um, Movie tie-in. Well, we we already did our our discussion on that, so I'm not super excited about about that. I I'm looking forward to the movie. Do you have high hopes for the movie? Uh, I, you know, the, the trailer's not bad. It's it's got a lot of stuff in it that makes me say, why did you need to do that? Like, they're changing the way he got to Mars. I think it's going to be he finds some orb or something that transforms yeah. him to fall asleep. But the, uh, 
you know, he doesn't go naked. Why oh. change that? Oh, PG-13 or whatever. Who knows? Oh, but, we can show Top naked. Oh, wait. Uh, no, I I think they're, I think, like, even the green apes they've got, or the white apes, they've got little, you know, Halloween cloths or something. Speedos. Speedos, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the white ape Speedo factory and get their Speedos <laughs> fitted. Just a... Mm. Oh my! <laughs> is is that guy upset that uh, did the original um, John Carter audiobooks? Uh David Stifle? Yeah, I think so. Can't imagine he'd be upset. I mean, it's he. I think he's a really terrific narrator, and I know a lot of people like Scott Brick as a narrator. Um, he's okay. Doesn't. I think it really depends on the book, maybe. I, I've heard him where it's been okay, and I've heard him where I was excited, but um, I also associate him with uh, a lot of the Dune books, and that that's not making me very happy. So um, I'm perfectly happy with David Stifel's uh, version. So he's, he's offering uh, uh, full audiobook downloads as well, I believe now. So that's cool. And he's got, he's got a, up to the fifth book recorded. Cool. Yeah, I like Scott Brick on those uh, Plum Island books. That, oh, that's uh, where I, he's really good, yeah. Yeah. Plum Island and what's the second one called? The Lions, Lions Game? Yeah. He was really mm. terrific. And I think, you know, it might be there's a certain, you know, there's some narrators who do dialogue really well. And like Wayne June, he's not a dialogue guy. He's not a, he's not a, uh, voice of uh, a woman and then a voice of a child. He's just Wayne June all the way through, right? Right. Um, but Scott Brick can do sort of the the snarky the snarky guy really well. He does yeah, the main character in Wise-ass detective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, when he's trying to do sort of earnest um, earnest people, I just don't buy it as much. But yeah. Um, the other one that I wanted to mention that's out is uh, Upon the Dull Earth and Other Stories. This is uh, Philip K. Dick's collection with uh, William Kuhn as the narrator, friend of the podcast, right? And uh, one, two, three, four, five um, stories, all of which are public domain, turned into an audiobook, in no small part thanks to me. <laughs> because I said, hey, these are all public domain, check them out. And he's like, "Oh, cool!" So, those are that's up on Audible right now. And uh, um, thank you, Jesse. Welcome. <laughs> and one of them is upon the dull earth, which we we've talked about, and I think is one of the best uh, Philip K. Dick stories ever. I really like that story. So that's a couple of other new releases. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys spot anything on Blackstone site uh, upcoming, Cantor or? Uh, uh, recorded books anywhere well, else? I've, one that I'm excited about listening to when I get a chance to do so <laughs> because mm-hmm. it is 47 hours and 56 minutes long Ooh. is That's The like Stand by Stephen King. Oh, Probably wow. my favorite Stephen King novel um, narrated by Grover Gardner. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, uh, it's on Audible. I don't know if it's available in hard copy. Um, the publisher is Random House Audio. And it is the, you know, complete version. Hmm. Yeah, just came out on uh, Valentine's Day. When you say the complete version, do you mean like it's the, there's two, there's more than one version of The Stand, right? Yeah, yeah. This, the one that was originally published and then the one when Stephen King put what they made him take out back in. 
So the that one before Stephen King was popular, and then the one when he was popular. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Basically, the one where he could do what he wanted. Exactly. The one where they had to develop technology to make the the spine strong enough to hold those pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I read I've read both versions, and um, he was right. I think on putting it back. It's I worth really it. do. It's, I think it's terrific. Yeah. It was, my like favorite book so is. To, so I have I, to ask. I got really soured on the Dark Tower books, but uh, everybody says I should read the Stand. Is that? The true? Well, the, the stand, is that well the, the Dark Tower books are the only books of Stephen King's that I haven't read. I've read the first two. <laughs> so I think you and I probably agree. I was like, eh, you know. Yep, I gave up after the second one. That's yeah, exactly so where I, I was. I read the first two, and then, um, but I've read almost everything else that he's written. Almost. There, there are a few books that I haven't. But The Stand and Salem's Lot and The Shining, you know, those are kind of his early career, and those still remain my favorites. Um, some of the later ones I like. I liked it. It is another really big book, um, but most of the ones that, that I like best are his first ones. <clears throat> I think yeah, the stand may have been his fourth book. So, but anyway, loved it. Scott, did you read Insomnia? Um, no, I don't think I read that one. Okay, Je- Jenny wasn't thrilled with it. Yeah, it's not like one of the ones that. Is written. You know, I think that that was one of his that I did not finish, if mm-hmm. I remember right. The the problem, yeah. Well, it's called insomnia, but yeah, they couldn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, you need to enjoy this. Yeah, yes. I don't. I don't recall finishing that one. Yeah. Um, you know, the one that's upcoming on um, Blackstone's site that I'm really interested in is uh, one of the few Larry Niven novels that hasn't been audiobook before, and it's called The World Out of Time. Hmm. Up in March, uh, first of March, actually. So. Oh, that, that that's on Audible right now. Oh, is it? Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah you know, so, it'd be kind of fun to revisit some Larry yeah. Niven. Um, it's, uh, it's part of a series, the first book in a series, but um, made as a standalone, I, I would guess. And then, you know, they offer him big money, and he says, oh, okay, I'll write some more. Um, eight hours, uh, read by Tom Weiner, and... Um, it's also, I think this is also one of the one that we've got that uh, it was expanded from a short story into full length because it sounds very similar to one of my favorite uh, Larry Nevin shorts from Infinivox, Rammer. Mm, yeah. It's got a corpsicle, right? A guy wakes up in the body of somebody else and uh, finds he's to be a pilot for a... Uh, yeah, for somebody who works at uh, Kristen's company. Are <laughs> <laughs> uh, you developing corpsicle technology? Shh, we're not supposed to talk about that. All right. well, but they're very tasty. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> I actually have, well, back to the stand. I have the original uh, blue cover of the stand that's half as long, and I've read half of it. So, uh, uh, but it, that, that seems long enough to me. Yeah. And uh, if, I'll finish it one day. Mm-hmm. 40 but I, I don't know if I can read something George that's R. twice Martin. as long. Yeah, like, that's that's a long book. Mm-hmm. The other um, thing that I'm, uh, you know, I'm always old school here, but uh, they've got The Black Arrow uh, by Robert Louis Stevenson coming out. And, you know, I've I've read just a little bit of Stevenson's writing, you know, as actual what he wrote rather than retold but i really like his writing style and um this is one i think it's kind of like it's kind of like a uh revenge version of robin hood 
from mm-hmm. what I've read about it. 15th century England. Um, that sounds really like my cup of tea. I don't know. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, on Audible Frontiers, mm-hmm. um, they've released some really interesting things. Um, one of which is three novels by Michael Swanwick. Um, mm-hmm. Bones of the Earth, Stations of the Tide, and The Iron Dragon's Daughter. And those have been all three been released recently. And then they've released a package, or is that uh, just the three the three audiobooks are available? The three audiobooks are available. Uh huh. Yep. And then, um, but that's Audible Frontiers, so it's Audible only. Um, the Summer Isles by Ian R. McLeod is available, and um, some Fritz Leiber and. Uh, a Lois McMaster Bujold novel called The Spirit Ring. That's there. You like her, Kristen? I do. I, I read the Chalian books a lot. Mm-hmm. I haven't read her I like space the opera one. Yeah, I'm wondering if The Spirit Ring is a Chalian book. I don't I don't know for sure. Uh, yeah, oh, the one you mentioned, Our Lady of Darkness, uh, Fritz Leiber. That might be interesting. Yeah. It's first published in 77. It explores the concept of paramentals. I wonder what that is. So is that science fiction or? Uh, I would guess it's fantasy. He's mostly a fantasy guy. Okay. Um, Sword and yeah, sorcery. Actually, there's a lot of new stuff on there on Audible Frontiers' collection. Stations on the Tide by Michael Swanwick. Mm-hmm. Stations of the Tide, sorry. Yeah, has anyone read anything by George Zabrowski? I was no. going to ask that. No. Nope. Yeah, he's I'm got some stuff. It, too. it looks like space opera, right? Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah, Tam mentioned that to Spacers me right trilogy. before the podcast. Yeah, exactly. And the Sun Spacers trilogy is one audiobook. Uh, 16, hour, wow. 16 and a half hours long. And I'm clicking through into there, and it says, Explore the Solar System and Beyond with George Zabrowski's Sun Spacers trilogy. Sun Spacers, The Stars Will Speak, and Behind the Stars. In the 21st century, the pioneers who tame Earth's sister planets, the Sun Spacers, venture into the frontiers of deep space. So, yeah. And that's not brand new. It's 1996. Yeah. So uh, maybe there's something to it. So it was originally published, yeah, published in 2012 by Audible, 1996 by George Zabrowski. So there's a book here that's I just love the title. It's called Mars <laughs> Needs Books. <laughs> Damn it. A science fiction novel by Gary Lavosi. And it's it says Audible Inc., not Audible Frontiers. I'm not sure what that means. But uh it's it says in the not too distant future, men have come to Mars to escape the oppressive Earth Earth government. Ryan is an agent for the super secret government agency, the Department of Control. <laughs> <laughs> and has always been willing to do whatever his masters want of him. But on Mars, everything is different. And all that Ryan does is read books, hard-boiled noir crime paperbacks dating from the last century. In fact, such works are read and collected by everyone on Mars, even serving as a medium of exchange. <laughs> Why is there some secret DOC plot involved? Uh, oh, why? Is there some secret DOC plot involved? Or has Ryan conjured up a literary fantasy in his own guilt-twisted mind? 
Maybe he's still confined in a prison cell back on Earth, reading a science fiction novel called Mars Need Books. <laughs> As Ryan, you know, probes, I... oh, sorry. No, keep going. As Ryan probes deeper and deeper into the mystery, he comes to understand just one thing: he must uncover the truth. I love this book. It sounds awesome. <laughs> it looks very. <laughs> I like the title. I, I think there's a lot of stuff on Audible new this week that uh, that looks like it's smaller authors trying to get their name out there. There's another one called A Lull in the Compass that looks like it could be interesting. And at three and a half hours, it's probably going to be, you know, not a whole lot of time sink to go into. The world mm-hmm. is running down. People are mysteriously disappearing, leaving behind only small stains of glycerin. Overhead, mysterious <laughs> objects are appearing just beyond our atmosphere and deliberately burning themselves to dust just as they fall to Earth. Some say our machines are absorbing us. Some say aliens have come here to commit suicide. A small band of wanderers spins the wheels of a lull machine, trying to make their way safely through a collapsing world and trying at the same time to solve the mysteries and save themselves and an unexpected next generation. From, hmm. Brand new from Audible. So. Who's the, oh, author? Who's cool. the author? Uh, W.C. Bamberger? I don't know. He actually doesn't look like he's written anything else, at least yeah. nothing else on Audible, so... I like that. I like that. They're, they're getting so desperate for books there. They're really casting the net wide back in time. So we're getting all these uh, Fritz Leiber books that have never been released before. And, and we're getting new authors. This is. Um, I think that's a good trend. Oh, it's mm-hmm. wonderful. Because he spelled all wrong. How about James Blaylock? He's an author I've heard of that I've never read. Um, but he's he's got, one of the original steampunky authors. Oh, is he? He's got yeah. uh, two books that are new. One's called Lord Kelvin's Machine, and the other one's called Homunculus. And they, they look from the covers <laughs> as if they're related. Um, yeah, I think they're all books, but they're new audible mm-hmm. audio recordings. There's that Avram Davidson here as well. That's, this is uh, really casting back. 1965, Wild Side uh, I've never read Avram Davidson, but I've heard uh, you know he's he's one of the names you have to read at some point. Yeah, I've heard the name. Uh, author of 19 published novels, more than 200 short stories and essays collected in more than a dozen books. Um, let's say in his science fiction novel Rourke, R O R K exclamation point. Ran Lorman wants only to be left alone to get away from it all. That's why he volunteers for duty on Pia 2, the most remote, isolated world in the galaxy. Huh. Yeah, these are looking good. Mm. Rourke! That's what what you say when you wake up on Pia 2. That's what I say uh, when I wake up. There's two here by Larry Correa. You remember him? Um, two in the series called The Grim Noir Chronicles, uh, read by Bronson Pinchot, so that alone makes it worth a listen. Um, the second one I have in front of me here is called Spellbound. Um, dark fantasy goes hard-boiled in book two of the hard-hitting Grim Noir Chronicles by the best-selling author of Monster Hunter International. The Grim Noir Society's mission is to protect people with magic, and they've done so successfully and in secret since the mysterious arrival of the power in the 1850s. But when a magical assassin makes an attempt on the life of President Franklin Roosevelt, the crime is pinned on the Grim Noir. Cool. Huh. I like the covers of those. They look uh, nice and 20s gangstery. Yeah. (laughs) It looks kind of neat. 
Have you guys read any of his? Have you read Monster Hunter International or or this one? No. Yeah. Nope, I wonder if, but I just added that one to my wish list. Yeah, so. they look fun. They look fun. Yeah. I know I like Monster Hunter covers. International is very popular. I've, I know a lot of people who've read that and liked it. Some really good stuff coming mm. out. So, uh, what have you guys been listening to? Um, I, I was just going to say that I'm curious about uh, Elizabeth Hand. Mm. She has a, a new book. Um, it's something like, well, the original book was called Generation Loss. It's kind of like a... So it's Patricia Highsmith meets Patty Smith, but I don't know who Patty Smith is. Patricia Highsmith? She's a rock star. Okay. Like a punk, punk rock star. Okay. I guess it's kind of like a girl with a dragon tattoo, maybe. Hmm. And I think Elizabeth Hand also writes some fantasy and science fiction, too. Yeah, I don't... Uh, it says a literary thriller. Right. I um, mean, the cover makes it look like some generic literary thriller, I guess. But um, I've not read any Elizabeth Hand. It's a first in a series, this book. Yeah, I mean, another, uh, the second book just came out, but it's Generation in, Loss. It's called. I think the new, new book is called, like, Another Dark or something. Okay. And it just came out, and I was reading a little bit of that in the uh, bookstore. It seems very hard-boiled, I guess. She takes drugs, and she gets all beat up, and I don't know, I, I, I'm curious about it. She's boiling hard. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Well, Jesse, I picked up that Ian McClellan, The Odyssey. Oh, um, so uh, the uh, what's that from Penguin, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what, what do you think of it? I love it. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, what a what a great reader. Yeah, um, he's it's Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of reading it and listening to it at, at the same time. Me too. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm um, really. Uh, I'm glad we're taking it at a slow pace, mm-hmm. uh, Odyssey, because it's there's a lot there's a lot in there, and uh, I don't want to miss anything, you know. Yeah, I yeah. know I know I am missing things, but I don't want to <laughs> miss too much just by rushing through it because yeah. that's the way. Nor- yeah, I think if we did it the way we normally do a <laughs> a book, we'd miss a lot. Yeah, for sure. Just in the conversations, even. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're listening to that, uh, Tam? You listening to any audiobooks? You got anything under review? Um, well, I, I finished the second Peter Hamilton Mandel Files. Oh, how'd I you like probably... it? Still good. Actually, uh, it's my least favorite of all his books, mm. but it, it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the it's, it's not very science fictional. It's more like a, a mystery with some very out there science fiction thrown in. I heard the third book in the series is more back to what his usual science fiction is like. But, I, uh, I don't know. What, what is his usual science fiction like? It's it's like far-reaching space opera with a lot of uh, technology and a lot of characters. Hmm. Like, I wrote this series, this series called the Night's Dawn Trilogy, and each book is like a thousand pages. That's but, uh, empty. Yeah, actually, these Mandel books are, are shorter. Maybe you would prefer them. But they're, they're mm-hmm. like his earliest novels. So I, I think he gets better later on. But I really mm-hmm. enjoyed the, the first book in the series more than the second book. I think that's often the case. Hmm. Um, Kristen, what you listening to? 
Oh, actually, I finally got a chance to start Wild Cards, which uh, we talked oh. about, I think, last time. Yeah, yeah. Wild so, Cards uh, 1, right? Yeah, Wild Cards 1. Uh, I guess edited by George R. R. Martin and read by, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now, who did the narration. Whoever the guy is, though, he's fantastic. Um, so I have to like say, I'm not a huge fan of superheroes, and the fact that everybody was telling me I had to listen to this kind of... Luke Daniels, that's the narrator. Mm. Um, the fact that everybody was telling me I had to listen to it was why I wanted to listen to it so much. And mm. this is fantastic. If you guys have any interest in, you know, World War II time frame and good sci-fi and good character-driven stories, this is, oh, it's cool. really good. <laughs> I, I like, I like, I like, I like the Game of Thrones of superheroes. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not really Game of Thronesy. I mean, you don't feel, I don't feel that way. Each, so each story, each character is introduced by a different author. And then right. they're kind of strung together in a progressive story. And uh, I think I'm on the third or fourth one right now, and it's really good. It's like lots <laughs> really of origin good. stories? Is, is, is that sort of... Yeah, oh. yeah you, get, you get introduced in the prologue to um, Dr. Tachyon, who's uh, an alien, and this wild card virus that makes people have superhero-like qualities, I guess, if mm-hmm. it doesn't kill them. And then each story is a different superhero. A different kind of person's been infected by this virus. It's kind of funny this has never been adapted to comics, you know? It, it, it would be well-suited to comics. I mean, it's well it's really what it is, right? It's it's yep. it's prose comics. Um, and there's some good authors in there, right? Uh, David Levine's in there. Walter John Roger Slasny, uh, George R. R. Martin, obviously. Carrie Vaughn, yeah, some really good ones. Howard Waldrop, yeah. Um. I I think I want what I'd like to do is just listen to one story and see how I like that and see how the universe fits before I commit to nineteen hours. <laughs> uh, well, it is it is bite sized. I mean, you, each one yeah. each story itself is about an hour long, yeah, a little maybe awesome. a little over an hour. So, yeah, that sounds good because I, I could I could really dig that and I love I do love uh, good origin stories. I mean, that's I think that's one of the th- things. You know, people don't know much about uh, Superman's later adventures with Lex Luthor's, you know, third half cousin from Bizarro World, but they do know his origin story. And everybody, I mean, everybody knows uh, Spider-Man's origin story. They, but they're remaking Spider-Man. What, like five years after they made Spider-Man? So, um, origin stories are, are certainly. I mean, I think that's even why that show Heroes didn't last, is because they'd shown all the origin stories, right? Yep, once those were done, there was not much else to say. It was just like, yeah, let's see how this plays out, and ah, it play out that well, did it? And the villain would never die. What was his name, Silar? Yeah. He would just yeah. come back every uh, season. Mm-hmm. It was it was uh, good, good origin stories, but yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe that should have been a comic book series as well. Well, the Jeff Loeb is a comic book writer, the head writer on the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to um, tell you that I am listening to some good stuff. I've got uh, on my iPod here, other than the same edition of the Odyssey you've got, Scott. I've got um, the new Elmore Leonard uh, called Raylan, which is a uh, third, I don't want to say third in a series. It's third book starring the same character, um, Raylan Givens, who they turned into a TV show uh, called Justified. And uh, apparently, Elmore Leonard was inspired by the show to write write some more uh, about this character. Who it, it's a great character. Um, 
But what's really surprising is that uh, it seems like the third season, which is the currently airing season, has half the scenes that are in this book. Hmm. So, hmm. like, straight out of the dialogue, you know, whole patches of dialogue have been put in the book or maybe taken from the book, uh, taken from the show and put it in the book. I'm not, I, I would say it's probably from the book into the show because of the, the dialogue is so Elmore Leonard. It's just amazing. But it's not the same plot as the third book? Very close. Very oh. close. Like, there's uh, somebody, uh, some criminal has his kidneys removed and uh, there's a plot to uh, sell, sell them off one by one. And on Ew. the show... Um, if they did it slightly differently, they they removed the guy's kidneys and then said, uh, "You have uh, eight hours to get me twenty thousand uh, dollars, or I'll I'll sell your kidneys to somebody else. But if you bring me twenty thousand dollars, I'll put your kidneys back in." <laughs> Wait. Yeah, I actually read the first chapter. Of that it, it seemed kind of squicky. Like there's some uh, psycho nurse that cuts out your kidneys yeah. and then Hello. sells them Hello. or something. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's uh, Elmore Leonard. Just I mean, I'm not a big character reader. I don't read books for characters, but he just does wonderful characters, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, you know, the surprise twists that come are wonderful. I'm not sure this is his best book so far. I'm about halfway through, but um, it's certainly it's certainly a good read and nice and short, like six hours or something like that. Um, yeah, I like how he's succinct. He doesn't waste time with a lot of uh, anything. He no, gets the dialogue and the plot. Blah blah blah. Said he said she said right. It's all said said, and gets gets straight through it, and almost all comes out in dialogue. There's very little in the way of uh, description. It's all, almost all dialogue. Hmm. Yeah, that's one of his ten rules. He has a really short book, like the ten rules of writing, and one of them is like don't waste a lot of time describing things no. unless you're Margaret Atwood. But I th I, I think uh, oh Margaret Atwood. <laughs> Did he say Margaret Atwood? <laughs> yeah. Really? He likes her descriptive powers, apparently. Really? Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, because I would say they're they're really not much like each other. I mean, oh. they're not polar opposites, but they're certainly not uh, similar writers than any stretch of the imagination. I think those rules are really good for him. He does very mm -hmm. good books based on his own rules of writing. I'm not sure I would want everybody's books to be like his, but... I never use the word suddenly. No? Mm -hmm. Nope, that's what he says. Oh, yeah, okay. That would be... Suddenly, he did something, yeah. Right. Just make it sudden. That's right. Um, but somebody could say suddenly in quotation marks. That'd be all right. Hmm. Okay. Uh, hey, can I mention an e-book I'm reading? Go for it. Uh, it's called Machine by Jennifer Pelland. And um, it's really... I mean, she, she has some veer away from sex or from, like self-destructive behavior. I mean, it's, it's kind of shocking reading it. So it's not for all tastes, but uh, I'm really, it's, it's really holding my interest. It's about a, a woman who, uh, her real body has a disease that they can't cure, so they put her in this artificial body. But then there's like uh, certain groups that think that's immoral and they're protesting against her. And uh, she actually, she's lesbian, so her wife leaves her because she doesn't have a real body anymore. So I, I mean, I, I find I find it engaging. I mean, it's different from anything else I've I've read. It says, but, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I'll send you. There's no audio version. There's no audio version yet, but I think it's coming. I think. Um, 
it, it says B I O I Android. Bio I Bio I Android. How do you pronounce that? I don't know. That sounds good. Bio I Android? <laughs> uh, well, what's the I stand for? Bio Android, I almost get. But she should be a gynoid. Bio gynoid. Maybe Apple makes it. <laughs> it's got an Apple interface. Well, then everybody should love her because she's so so. Uh, she has a touch interface. Cl- yeah, clean clean lines and no buttons, no belly button. Exactly. Oh, that cover is um, pretty exp- interesting. Yeah, she's actually peeling her skin off to show her Android underneath. Ouch. That's what the cover is supposed to be. Well, as one who's routinely broken, I certainly would not uh, would not say no to an Android body like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, uh, James Patrick Kelly gave her advice. He said, "Don't take out the vomit." All right, I mean, that's, don't t- you tweeted don't that, out, I think. Yeah, don't take anything shocking. And she certainly doesn't. So, not for all tastes, but... <laughs> don't take out anything shocking. Vomit's <laughs> not shocking. Just leave it there on the table. Don't take that out. <laughs> modern person's used to vomit. Hmm. Oh, well, what, what, what does a robot vomit look like? Nuts and bolts and oil? Actually, it's supposed to be almost indistinguishable. Her, her body's like... Until she let, she starts to manipulate her body, but in the beginning, she looks exactly like a human and feels that way. But then she goes through a lot of mods. What are you reading uh, this on? What device? Um, the Kindle app on the iPad. Oh, okay. In uh, white on black. Hmm. To help my eyes a little. Yeah. I'm, I still haven't read an e-book on an e-book reader. Kind of oh, I'm downloading it on my Kindle Fire as we speak. <laughs> you, you may you may find it squicky. squicky. I, I can deal with squick. Squicky. <laughs> How do you spell that squicky? S Q U I C K. Is it a new word? I've heard it bandied about. Don't don't the Koreans say it in your? It's Urban Dictionary's got a definition for us. And it is to make one feel sick or disgusted. To be quick over a bizarre or distasteful situation. Three, my friend's in, my friend Brad is in a speedo, mentally squicking right now. <laughs> good example. Very good example. Or, or a, white, a white ape in a speedo. That'd be <laughs> a way to describe something that makes you squeamish and you feel has a certain ick factor. Don't we have a word for this? I'm I'm sure we do. Skeevy, nauseating. Uh, Squicky is always the one I use. Huh? Squicky like a British thing that came over. Part of it. It's if it's only on Urban Dictionary, I think it's pretty new. Hmm. Well, it's part of my lexicon. Hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a TV tropes for it. Uh, a contraction of squeamish and ick. Perfect. A negative emotional response, more specifically, a disturbed or disgusted one. Squicky and squicked are common forms, with this wiki having apparently invented the firm squicktastic. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with squee, the very opposite, we hope. Things that make the audience throw up often make the characters throw up as well. We have a whole pile of disgust tropes. <laughs> yeah, I love TV tropes. Very hand- handy. TV tropes is like uh, the Wikipedia of um, uh, cynicalness, I think. 
Any other uh, listens in the in the queue? Got any picks before we go? Not, not I. Nope, my read list is way too long. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, so, uh, I am reading something, I guess, a little bit squicky. Uh, I started reading Jennifer Blood, the uh, new Garth Ennis trade paperback that's out. Uh, I have a feeling it's a limited series because uh, I'm not sure how far we can go with it. So uh, that's a graphic novel? Yeah, it's a collection of the first six, maybe the only six um, books in the in in the the series, I guess. Um, the uh, the character is basically a female version of the Punisher, um, and she's getting re- yeah. It says suburban housewife by day and female vigilante by night, um, and of course it's uh, because it's Garth Ennis. It's got a lot of um, uh, squeaky stuff going on, and she's getting revenge for some unspecified uh, problem in her past. But <laughs> there's a real disconnect. That's, I, I, mean, I guess it's played for humor, where she she she's a because she's a, a you know machine gun collector and flamethrower user. Uh, her family doesn't know about this, so every night before she goes out to punish the bad guys, she gives her family Valium at the dinner table and they all pass out and she drags them up to their beds and then when she comes back in the morning they're like, oh, I seem to be passing out a lot these days. (laughs) Mm. That sounds like Scarlet by Brian Michael Bendis. Mm. Another female vigilante comic book. I don't know that. Art by Alex Maliv. I've not read any Bendis, I don't think. I hear his name a lot. Yeah, he does a lot of the... Well, he did the Powers comic books. That's going to be a, a TV show, I think. But he does a lot of superhero stuff, too. Have you read Scarlet, this one? Uh, I read the beginning. It's it's very gritty. Gritty. The art is really good. It says it's an ongoing series, but it's been going since 2010, and it's only got five issues out. So this is there, there is a trade paperback. Slow moving. Maybe it's not... Maybe no longer ongoing. But I am a sucker for chicks that kick ass. We know that. <laughs> um, is that uh, machine the one you're reading? Uh, she can't. She, she just definitely not. She's basically in the depression. So that she's definitely not kicking ass. So where is her? Her consciousness is not in her body. It's in the robot. How did that happen? That, that, that's like a common thing when someone has a terminally ill disease. They they transfer it or they copy it. But is her body still around somewhere? Yeah, it's in it's in uh, corpsical state. Uh, and when they find the cure, they'll transfer her back. I but see. she might not want to go back. Right. So that so that part of it is kind of like down and out in the Magic Kingdom almost. Right. Where the you can cure death by transferring your consciousness. But if if it's just a copy of your consciousness, does that really benefit the original uh, data? <laughs> I would say it's still in there. Yeah, it seems like it's just a, if it's just a copy, it doesn't do me any good. <laughs> <laughs> My clone will live forever. Big deal. Well, uh, I, I would say that that that's the reason you should never go to sleep. Because if you ever fall asleep, you disappear and some new buddy who looks a little bit like you and talks a little bit like you wakes up and continues on with your old memories. Uh-oh. Actually, that's a very interesting part of the sleeper in Wild Cards. 
Hmm. Well, not quite exactly like that, but it's a similar storyline-ish. Hmm. <laughs> Actually, I read a Stephen Baxter book where the transporter basically destroys you and then makes a copy of you at the destination. So basically you're dying every time you transport yourself. It's also so. James Patrick Kelly's Think Like a Dinosaur. Yeah, that's what made me think of, too. You know, um, the, the, the real transporter... Um, it's essentially, you know, from not the real transporter, the Star Trek transporter is essentially that is real. <laughs> is essentially the same thing. I mean, they make it sound like uh, like um, your 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 energy. You're turned into energy and then back into matter. I'm I'm sorry to tell anybody who's been through the transporter that that means you were destroyed, right? In reading your information, they destroyed destroyed it and then recorded it, and then transmitted it, and then reassembled it. Uh, sorry, not reassembled it. Created it from the blueprints, right? And that's why it's, there's plenty of evidence for this in the show, right? That more than one person comes out of the transporter. Remember? That's that, right. That's in the next generation and in the original series. This is why, uh, you know, Dr. McCoy was right. You don't go in that stupid thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, that's like, uh, you guys are completely talking over my head. I never watched any of those. <laughs> what? Oh, no. I watched a little bit of Next Generation, but... Yeah, oh, you're going man. way over my head. <laughs> yeah. It's well worth watching. At least, you know, most of the episodes are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the uh, classic science fiction writers wrote episodes of the original Star Trek. Like Theodore really? Sturgeon and Richard Matheson. Harlan Ellison. Yeah, Norman Spinrad. I don't think Jenny has watched that stuff either. They're too young. Maybe Jenny, Jenny and I will have to do a Netflix party or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd watch it without the uh, enhanced special effects. I don't think they enhance the story at all. <laughs> you prefer the sock with the cement, the sock dipped in cement for the Tombstay machine? I, I prefer focus on ideas and not focus well, you on got me. You got me interested now. I need to go watch the Doomsday Machine episode to see what they did with that. Yeah. Because uh, Norman Spinrad actually designed a Doomsday Machine, and they never used it because they couldn't afford it. So they just used a sock. <laughs> Not a sock. It it's is. Like it's a sock that can cement. Yeah. It's a cigar shape. I was going to say, uh, I like Old Man's War because it seems like the consciousness is being literally transferred from his old body to his young body. Yeah, but that's just hand-waving. There's no, there's no, I mean. It, I like the concept anyway. Yeah, but I don't know if it can ever come true. There's uh, what consciousness is is very slippery. It's very slippery, and uh, what he he totally that's, that's the least scientific part of that entire series. You know that entire book. But um, a better, more realistic way would be the way altered carbon works. It, which is, uh, if you want to have your consciousness transferred, you're gonna have to record it and put it on some hardware and then take that hardware and put it into somebody else. Right. Not that, not that that works perfectly either, but... I think my favorite first two chapters are, of a book are Altered Carbon. It's a pretty good book. Because he, he gets like uh, blown away in chapter one and then in chapter two he comes back. Yep. I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. It's good I guess that's the first time I read a, a book of that type. Yeah, I think a lot of people consider it, uh, what's that, cyberpunk or whatever, but I think it's just uh, it's just a more noirish 
um, look at what the technology would do, which I, I don't think is necessarily what cyberpunk is about. Hard-boiled future. Something like that. Did you read the, the second two books in that series? I do. Oh. Failed to. Okay. I don't seem to do second books very well. Yeah, I, I tried the second one, too, and I never finished it. But I feel like I'm missing out on something. I think Luke liked all three. Yeah. Yeah, I think you did. That's right. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.